This is fascinating. It's what most people are So like, like we've what? sold car parts, we've sold cleanup clothes, yeah. we've sold med device, yeah. and we've construction. done construction, and we've also sold the craziest franchises I've ever heard in my life. Exactly. And you're not even 35 yet. I was not even 31. 31. Okay, so we're at the CEO Parenting Podcast. My guest today is Laura Quick. So the great thing about this conversation, this format is, this is just a conversation like sitting at a coffee shop or something, just talking about things. Exactly. So um, why Laura? Laura is a business owner, but she also is a parent. And she has her life together. At least I think she does. So the other thing about this is I don't know Laura real well at all. She was an um, intro, intro to me by Lindsay Miller, who we love, who was on a previous episode. And so and I love Lindsay. And I've, I trust Lindsay. So if I love and trust Lindsay, that she says Laura's a, a, a wonderful woman, I'm going to believe her. So Laura. exactly. high praise. Exactly. Lindsay's wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so the only thing I know about you okay. is Good Grit Magazine. Yep. That's it. Okay. You're 39. I'm 39. And That's I have a magazine. Yeah, yeah, and you got kids. I do, too. Okay. So give me the, the, the quick version of, like, who you are from, all that kind of stuff. Okay. The quick, quickest version, I guess. <laughs> you know, yeah. Never, nobody ever does that. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, my name is Laura Quick, and I was born and raised in Savannah, Georgia. Okay. Um, I feel like I came out of the womb as a storyteller. Mm. I've just always loved stories. I think that curiosity is the coolest trait you can see in someone because curious people are interested and not too consumed with being interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I had a son young. I was only 19 when I had my okay. son who is now 19, which is nice. just the most That's crazy thing of all. Yes. It's so hard to watch someone be 19. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Yeah. Um, I met Jesus super late in my life. Okay. Around 30. Oh, good. Um, before I fell in love with Jesus. Well, I think Jesus had been knocking quietly, sure. and I'd been like, that's so cute. Yeah, that's so nice. I don't, I'm busy, actually. Yeah. So, um, And Good Grit, I, you know, Good Grit Magazine it was a manifestation, I think, of just kind of being chased down by God. Okay, so tell me about Good Grit Magazine, because I know a little bit, but not, I know more than I let on, but like, tell me about so good, who it targets, all those good, all yeah. the, the good things. So Good Grit, I started Good Grit in um, 2014 conceptually. Okay. And the whole purpose was I kind of looked at the marketplace and was like, hey, I love solving problems. It's okay. my favorite thing to do. And I saw there was, I moved to Birmingham I was from Savannah. So in okay. Savannah, hospitality is now like. Why did you move to Birmingham? Well, I had a long career of sales and marketing before okay. I started my own company. Um, and Birmingham was a bleeding market for the franchise com big corporate company I worked for, and I would come here all the time, and I really oh, liked it. Oh, okay. And I knew it was much bigger than Savannah. Savannah sure. had about 300,000 people at the time, and Birmingham was a known philanthropic community. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mountain Brook is huge, normally ranks in the top five. I knew I wanted to do something eventually that kind of played in that arena. Okay. Um, and I came here, visited here, loved it, moved here, single mom with my son. Um, okay, so you moved here and you weren't married. No. So you said, tell me when you moved back to Birmingham. Went back, so oh, I to moved Birmingham. to Birmingham 14? in 2013. 13. So yeah. you moved here in 13. You started the magazine in 14. Okay, so going back, so there's a lot of people out there that, don't I hate to say it like this, but don't have the, the balls to mm -hmm. leave a corporate job, 
and start your own thing. So what were you doing? You said sales and marketing. What were you doing? So I, well, I worked for a corporate company. I'll just start. So I dropped out of college when I was, I found I was pregnant. Right. Surprise. Well, I guess I was 20 when I had Clay. So yeah. I found I was pregnant when I was 19. I was going into my sophomore, no, junior year of college. And I was like, okay, well, I don't think I can do this. Sure. Moved home to be close to family. Okay. Had a baby. Um, I was joking about this with somebody at lunch. I was like, you know, I lied about my age. I literally said I was 27 from the time I was 20 until I turned 27. I'm like, gosh, what will I say now? Because I needed to have good jobs. And I would kind of mm. like, you know, white lie my way into the best job I could get because I was a single mom. And so I always had jobs that were so out of my league and I was one heck of a researcher. That's the sale, that's the sales part of it. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And so um, had some really, I think that my journey as a female in business is really unique okay. because I had all men as leaders sure. and they were incredible men, like really good, good guys that saw my potential and really like invested in me and allowed me to the latitude to really kind of be the sure. free bird that I was. Cause yeah. the thing about entrepreneurship is, or even CEO life is you have to have a streak of entrepreneur in you to even do it. Absolutely. Yep. And so I think I always had men leaders who were like, okay, well this girl is a born entrepreneur yeah. and we're just going to kind of get out of her way and tell her what she needs to get done. Mm -hmm. Um, and so in my sales career, career that I always lied to get jobs in, yeah. <laughs> eventually I had enough experience where I didn't have to lie anymore, but, um, I very quickly became, you know, number one in the country, number one in seven. Countries. What were you selling? Lord have mercy, anything. I mean, but I can um, say pharma. Well, you had to have a four year degree to do that. And I didn't oh, have that. Okay. But I did do medical sales for a okay, little while. Yeah. Um, I can see that. I moved into, uh, restoration sales, which is really unique. Um, I worked in the car business for about eight months and killed it. I was a number one service advisor for Land Rover in the country in Hilton Head, South Carolina. And I was like, man, I'm really good. So, so service advisors, so like, Susie, Susie car, comes in, Susie comes in and cause her brakes are squeaking right. and you upsell the living snot I'm out like, of her. I'm like, Susie, you need a I'm new engine actually. <laughs> That's so awful. <laughs> it is going to be 25. I'm it's going to be 30 grand. Actually, you know, I left that business. I was doing really well. One, I worked six days a week, and it was very mm. hard. And I Every Saturday. Every other Saturday, yeah. but still, it was a lot. I loved it because I got to drive a Land Rover because you mm. got like a, you know. You had I thought I was so sure, cool. Sure, absolutely. Um, but I actually left because a guy came in who had, you know, with a Land Rover, even really any BMW Land Rover products um, at the time before they were purchased by the Indian company, there's a black box and there's still a black box. They know exactly when a light comes in, on in your car. It's just like an airplane. Mm. So a guy came in and I was like, sir, what happened? Cause he's like, my coolant light came on and it just stopped working. And I was like, well, we check it. And he blew up his engine. And I'm like, how long had your coolant light been on? He was like, man, I don't know, like a day or so. I was mm. like, well, it says here it's been on for three weeks. He needed a new engine and it, his car would have been under warranty, but because he didn't, do these certain things or whatever. Anyways, it was $38,000 and he gave me his American Express card and I was like, I have to leave. I can't do this. This is like, how are you gonna be that dumb? Come on, what you doing? So I went into outside sales. I had a guy, I responded to just an ad. This is like before things were as digital as yeah, they sure. are. Um, and this guy was out of Jacksonville, Florida, and he did restoration dry cleaning, which I'd never even heard of. I thought oh, cleaning. old clothes, took yeah. old clothes and, and well, not yeah. old, but like say, God forbid, you or someone you love had a house fire. 
we would come in and clean all the clothes and restore them where they wouldn't smell like smoke and they would not have soot on them and it's like good for you and you can put your kids back so in. not smoke but like you could also do like hurricanes Mold, and all that. oh yeah that's such a great business well so he he was like listen i think you could do this and finally it was like oh you could have autonomy you get a company car sure like you could spend more time with your son oh he's given a company car for rest restoring clothes? Well, here's the deal. I, my territory was gonna be from Savannah, Georgia, all the way to Jacksonville, Florida. And then mm. like in, so I ran like 42 counties. And he, my first year he said, hey, if you can just do $250,000 in sales, which sounded like a lot. Sounds like I mean, a lot. You know, you go to get a dry cleaning, it's like no more than $100. Yeah. That's you when your wife sure. got all your stuff. Um, and I'm like, 50,000 and he's like well that's what the guy before you was doing you can do that and I was like oh well if that yeah. person was doing it I'll do yeah. it I did 750,000 oh my, my gosh so I was literally like number one salesperson first year yeah um in the country and then I just gradually grew up in that business and so a lot of people around the country knew who I was um, in the restoration clothes business not just clothes I moved into construction so I worked for a 50 million dollar construction company okay building out their marketing and sales program um, referral systems had a great time doing it and I just I eventually was like I want to do my own thing and knew I could start a consulting firm going and consulting for other businesses who needed to build sales teams who needed to build sales systems okay it was a pretty, you know, like fly by the seat of your pants, but I had enough experience to know like, hey, here was the path to success that I took. Piecing together the different things that you learned along the way from different right. people. This is where like having, this is like where I think people discount having a boss leader ahead of them that's really, really good and not squeezing that orange as much as you can while you're there. Oh, 100%. I mean, I had my, that boss that I left in the dry cleaning world, he was like, I'll start any business you want to start, I'll start it with you. Like, he just believed yeah. in me. Um, and he is still a great friend and sure. mentor. I call him when I'm like, what should I do about this? Yeah. And then the next guy that I worked for um, was also amazing. Really incredible guy. Been in construction, graduated from Auburn um, for 50 years and trusted me to come in and build a program he'd never had before with mm -hmm. sales and marketing and a referral system with insurance companies. Did that for a little while and then was actually poached by another corporate company out of St. Louis. You were. I was. So you have moved around with, with what's your son's name? Clay. You've moved around with Clay all around the, the coast. St. Louis. Well, I didn't move to St. Louis. Yeah, I just okay. had to be there a week every six weeks. Okay. But that was the first national position I'd ever held. So that was a national sales manager position that I that I was able to take, and it was really cool. And that was selling franchises. And what that, what franchises? Um, they're called one eight hundred board up. It's pretty obscure, but it's construction companies all over the country would buy a one eight hundred board up franchise so that they would have a relationship with the. Um, it's kind of a nonprofit arm for their for-profit company, and you would the you go and build relationships with fire chiefs. We hired retired fire chiefs, and those fire chiefs would build relationships with the firehouses. So that if there's a fire, regardless of the insurance status, that construction company would board up the house for free. And if they had insurance, they would bill. But the the house has to be boarded up. It's mandated by the cities and the counties. And when they did that, we created kind of a system where we would bring all of these different collaborators, like, hey, we can mitigate this loss for you. It's a very scary thing to lose everything like that Overnight. in fire. Yeah. Um, and so I 
I developed a heart for that give back component because I was on the front line of that. I got to go to these houses and love on people. See the people. God. And to like, you know, people losing their spouse in a, in a fire, their animal mm. they loved, even sometimes children. I mean, yeah. it was very devastating. But to give them a little piece of comfort with a teddy bear or fresh clothes to connect them. And it sounds like also saving them, I mean, it sounds really like you're saving them money, I, I would think. Well, I think you're, one, we were, we did a really great job at that company of vetting to make sure that mm. these were not like unethical companies. You could not buy sure. a franchise without being a really ethical company. Um, so you were there to serve the people and knowing that if you served well, you would have a better shot at getting that business if they were like rebuilding their house or right. they did have insurance. And so it's kind of, you know, there's some selfishness in that, but. No question, but, but for the most part, it's good. Right, really good. So how does a girl in the fire restoration start a magazine? <laughs> this probably, is fascinating. It's what most people are So like, like we've what? sold car parts, we've sold clean up clothes, yeah. we've sold med device, yeah. and we've construction. done construction, and we've also sold the craziest franchises I've ever heard in my life. Exactly. And you're not even 35 yet. I was not even 31 yet. 31 yet. I was 31 when I was Okay, so you're in, you're, you're, where are you living when you're doing working for the person in St. Louis? So. Live in Savannah? I was Savannah. So it was Savannah to right outside of Atlanta, LaGrange, Georgia for the Yeah, I know exactly where it is. And then I was able to move back home. To and, Savannah. And okay. then decided to move to Birmingham because I had a franchise in Birmingham that was Board bleeding. up. Board up. Okay. And I would come here and I'm like, Dang, this is cool. Yeah. More people, sure. more opportunity. I also But not Atlanta more. Right. Atlanta was overwhelming. I've sure. done work in Atlanta, yeah, yeah. business trips there for years and years, and I just never felt like this yeah. is where I want to like, raise my I kids. lived there two years. I mean I agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Um and so I just was like, I think this is where I'm supposed to be. And I really That's can't so good. explain it. But yeah, I just, no, I get it. It was I thought I thought I think I'm supposed to be here. So Moved to Birmingham, started my first consultant business, which I say that's what all sales and marketing people do. That's it. So, <laughs> so you, so let me go back. You left the board up company mm -hmm. and said, "Hey, thanks, but no thanks. I'm going to start my own deal." Mm -hmm. Okay. So here's the part, I, the question I have. Okay. This is what everybody asks mm -hmm. me. I get, I got asked this yesterday, two mm -hmm. days ago. So yeah. crazy, because um, there's a guy in Tennessee, great friend of mine. Mm -hmm. He's got a nine to five, but he's got another business that. Uh, I mean, he grossed right at a million bucks this year. Okay. So the transition from getting a consistent salary, even if it is sales. Mm -hmm. Okay. How did you transition from that into the consulting part? Um, honestly, I will say that it was, pro it felt a little forced when I left that company. I was the only female serving on an all male board. I was working with a predominantly male. And when I said I've had, I've had the luxury where I've met a lot of young women who have not had the luxury of having strong men leaders sure. who believed in them. That wasn't my story. I had strong men leaders who were like, yeah, girl, get it. Yeah. You know, like we see you and we're right. here for it. But at that last company, and it's funny because Michael, who was my boss there and the owner of that company, reached out to me a couple years ago and was like, I want to apologize. I should have fought for you. Wow. And which is like so Yeah, that's sweet. great. Yeah. Um, and he's still a friend and a mentor, too. But I left there feeling like I had to. Like there was just some older men who were really had they did know a lot more than me in so many ways. I was 29, yeah. you know, and I was like, well, I get it. You know, it's hard to take the 29-year-old sure. seriously. But 
um, I, w I felt like I the door was closing and it was just time to leave. Like, okay, so like no more upward movement or like I'm stagnant, like I can't grow anymore. Like I, I believe that you know it's time to leave when your voice isn't heard anymore and it doesn't really matter what you do or how you position it. I, yeah. I consider myself a lifelong learner. And when people can't hear you anymore, that does not mean you should scream. Sure. That means you should say, cool, maybe I need to yeah. find a new table to sit at where people can hear me. Gotcha. Um, and so I decided, I didn't know what I wanted to do. No, so I was like, I'm just going to consult for a little while. I had so many people in the industry who knew me. And so that was just easy. Now, when I'm asked the question, how do you take your side hustle to a full-time gig? But you didn't have a side hustle. No, I didn't, but I'm a risk taker. I believe risk takers always win. Okay, so let's talk about the, 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 the question that no one wants to ask, but has to ask. Okay, so financially. Single mom. Okay, single mom, you mm -hmm. got a kid. How much were you making at board, whatever? Mm -hmm. Like, wh where were you at from a salary slash sales? Okay, around 200. Around 200. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you leave a $200,000 income mm -hmm. and go to do this consulting. Yeah. Did you have like money set aside? that you could lean on? I did, but I also think that there was, it's funny because that was the most money I'd ever made. Sure. You know, and I, I was really proud to be in my 20s and make that kind of money, especially I wasn't college, you know, I didn't have a college degree. Um, but I will tell you this, my base salary there was 25 grand. So I'm just not scared of hustling. Sure. And I've never really been scared of hustling. And, you know, I have an investor that once, um, who invested in Good Grit, and he did it kind of via text. Like, this was like a big life decision for yeah. me and my whole team. Like, am I going to make payroll this week? And he once said, yeah, we're in. And I was like, oh, my gosh, you have to call or, at you know, meet or at least call somebody when you're saying something like that. This is life-changing stuff. Sure. So I called him. This was later, once we had a real relationship. And I said, Jay, have you ever been hungry? And he was like, no. Yeah. And I said, I have. Yeah. So once you, once you have failed enough and you know what it's like to be at the lowest level, you're just not really scared to go back there because you know you can build it yeah. back again. And so for me, yes, I was a single mom, but I was also so burnt out on being in an airplane and flying all around. And I kind of, I feel like there was a lot of God tugging at my heart too, of just being like, hey girl. And you didn't know Jesus at the time. No. Okay. Yeah, no, that's very perspective. Like sure. Back yeah, no doubt. Way. Yeah. But well, I, I also think too that you leaving a two hundred thousand dollar job is the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, "Hey, this time. is something." Yeah. yeah. And a lot of other things happen. I mean, there were there was a ton of stuff that went on during that time that was just like had to be God. There's yeah. just no other way to explain it. But um, I started a consulting firm and rented a tiny little like two hundred fifty square foot office yeah. in Mountain Brook, and. It was, I was nestled between two therapists, which is hilarious mm. because mental health is like a huge part of my journey. Um, but the therapist that used to be in my office was a subscriber to the New York Times. So I got a New York Times one day, was doing really well consulting. I yeah. actually called my brother and was like, you have to move here and like be my CFO. And he goes, Laura, I work at a bank. I'm like, yeah, that, yeah. So you're qualified. And he's yeah, like, exactly. he's like, that is not what that is. <laughs> yeah. um, but Long story short, I got that New York Times and I was reading it and it really, quite frankly, pissed me off because I was like, why is New York doing such a great job of telling this story? It was about the food revival in Birmingham. It was talking about the food movement and hospitality movement oh, yeah, that was happening okay. in Birmingham. This was 2013. 
And I was like, I think I have to start a magazine. Now, every person that I told that to was like, my best friend, Megan, was like, do you even read magazines? I was like, Megan, it's not time for negativity. Yeah. Okay? Okay, so hold on one second. How long have you been doing the consulting thing? Like a year. So you've gotten a pretty good... Oh, I was stacking. Doing good, doing so good. good. Okay, so you were doing good there. And it was like a one-woman show. I really didn't need much. Yeah. You know, I made my own schedule. No overhead. No overhead. No overhead. It's really like thousand hey, bucks a month for your office. Yeah. If that. Five hundred. Five hundred bucks a month for your office. Yeah. Nothing. Oh my gosh. It was okay. So, great. so you're doing this a year, and then you decide, hey, I need to start a magazine. Well, I saw a hole in the market. I really felt like once I read that article in the New York Times, it pissed me off, and it. it I looked at the landscape and I thought, okay, so there's a Southern Living. There's yep. like your grandma's magazine, sure. right? Who, which is awesome. Yep. I love I love that oh, magazine. I get it. Yes, exactly. Yep. And then there was um, Garden and Gun. Yep, I get that one too. Great magazine yep. from Charles. Not King. as much anymore. Okay, yeah. So, so they changed editors and it's not as good. Okay, yep. Oh, there's another conversation. Go yes. ahead. Um, and what I saw was I saw this legacy type magazine sure. that was like what kind of flour do you use for that cake yeah um, what kind of place settings should you make? blue blood right? southern yep yep and then i saw a very aspirational southern culture magazine there weren't i didn't have a lot of friends probably no friends that were taking a private plane on a duck hunt no right me neither i also didn't have any friends that had forty thousand dollar shotguns Nope. You know, and Me so either. there was a lot of aspiration to garden and gun, but what I didn't see was I didn't really see a lane for inspiration. How could we leverage our stories as Southerners? Okay. How can we show the progressive side of Southern culture, tell stories that inspire the human spirit to persevere? And that's what I wanted to do. Okay. So I built a business plan and I had to go and basically unpaid internship for a friend of mine in Savannah who had a magazine called South. His name's Michael. He's a great guy. I was like, hey, I want to start a magazine. And he was like, oh, you moved to Birmingham. That's great. They don't really have any good local magazines. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't want it to be local. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, well, I'm going to compete with Garden and Gun. And he laughed at me. Okay. And he was like, no, you're not. Yeah. It's in, it's in, you can't do that. And I was like, well, I'm going to try. Try, yeah. And I said, so... He always would be like, come help me with my sales team. Because he's like incredible creative, but always struggled with sales. And I was like, I'll help you with your sales team if you will open your playbook and let me understand how you're running this business. So like when you say open your playbook, you mean the nuts and the bolts of yeah. pages and colors and All the, well, like, like who, who prints your magazine. Exactly. Distribution, like, like circulation. The, the things that you don't even think about. Well, timeline. How long does it take you to do this from start to finish? And who, who are the moving parts you have right. to have in order to do it? How do you find writers? How do you find photographers? photographers? How do you find illustrators? All Who's your things. editor? Oh, gosh. Yes. Okay. And he said, yeah. Okay, and so so, try, so old school, just barter system. And Teach I would, me, I'll give you. So I would run my consulting firm, and I did this for two months. Run my consulting firm on Mondays, schedule it, drive to Savannah on Tuesday, leave my child with my brother, drive to Savannah Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, work, drive home, work with the consulting firm on Friday, just hmm. so I could build a business plan. I did that for two months. It was terrible. Um, what was terrible about it? Well, I think that... I was, I think that I lived most of my life until I was probably 32, I started to unravel the survival mode mentality. Um, 
I had been surviving as a single mom and a hustler, you know, like I like to say, that girl who would just like grind, I could do anything. And I was sacrificing so much of one, I was giving the best things I had to offer to clients and the people, and I would give the worst parts of myself to my son and my family. Okay, so let's stop there for a second. Okay. So do you feel like, and this is a hard question, okay? Do you feel like you were a good mom from the time he was born until that 2016, 17? I wasn't. And I have had to, I mean, he and I have had extensive heart-wrenching conversations about uh, me apologizing. Yeah. I mean, Clay got saved at Church of the Highlands in front of me before I did. Mm. You know, I one, there's a lot of pressure when you move to Alabama. People ask you top three questions. Where do you go to church? Who are you married to? Hey, well, maybe. Yeah. Uh, who do you root for? Yeah. Alabama, Auburn, right? And then uh, what do you do? Yeah. And I really couldn't answer that church question, and <laughs> that funny. was pretty important. But um, started taking him, and I've had a lot of conversations with Clay, just apologizing for all the things I really messed up, and then explaining to him like, "Hey, the way I did it sucked and wasn't yeah. right, and now I know better, so I'm going to do better. Sure. And here's what that's going to look like for us. Okay. Um, and so, no, I wasn't a good mom, and I think I was starting to realize that even when I decided to leave my corporate life. How old was he? So, when you figured out, like, hey, I'm not doing a really good job. I'm killing it over here, but I'm not doing a good job at being a mom. When did you, how old was he? Clay was, I think when I started waking up, you know, um, Clay was probably around 11. Okay. So not super old, but, but missed, old. A, missed a lot of years. A lot of years to sacrifice okay. by me just not yeah. knowing, you know. Um, and I think that epiphany, that kind of wake up and that unraveling of the system I'd been using to just, like, push myself to complete burnout yeah. um, and then like take a complete day to just like do nothing so I could recharge a little bit and then still not give the best parts of myself to, to the right people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I decided to start this magazine, do the consulting thing. I'm doing the consulting thing, learning about magazine business, build a business plan, talk to one of the, one of the young women that I had trained for a company I consulted for who was kicking butt. I mean... Where was she? So she was at a bar. No, like, where, working? Where was she working? She was working for a local company here. In Birmingham. Okay, in Birmingham. good. Yeah. She was doing dry cleaning restoration, and she was killing nice. it. But I met her. She was a bartender. And bartenders are amazing. They're wonderful. Really good bartenders are, one, they understand Love. boundaries. Yes. Right? They're going to give you enough, but they're not going to give you too much. Nope. They're not going to take any crap. Mm-mm. Right? And they make incredible business women in sales. And they, in the they room. read the freaking room. Exactly. Social like, intelligence. Th- they have a ton. It is so hard these days. So like we've got three that we use. Okay. Brad, mm-hmm. Justin, and Haley. Mm-hmm. Okay. All of them are incredible. Yeah. If they need full-time jobs, they'll figure out a place where to Oh, literally. But like they just get it. Mm-hmm. And I've had some that don't. But you're right. What what is it? You just think it you just think it's the reps? Because I think like it's just the reps of like meeting someone, talking, figuring out where it's going, dropping it if it's not good, going on if it is good. So I think it's that, yes. And I I bartended for years. Mm -hmm. Like that's how I I can see that. I would totally make money. When my son was with his dad, I'd be like, all right, I'm gonna pick up a side hustle again. Um I think it's the reps. I think it's high interaction and like you are dealing with the best of people 
and mm. the literally the worst of people. Sure. And it could happen in the same sitting. Absolutely. You could literally have the coolest, most down to earth, coolest person you've ever met sit down at your bar. And by the time you have to have him escorted out, he could be the worst person ever. All with one question or one memory or whatever. Exactly. You're right. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about that. So, um, I asked her, I was like, I'm building this business plan. I'm going to start this magazine. Do you know anybody that might be like interested in being an investor? She was like, you know, I know a guy that I think that's in the magazine business and he's like super wealthy. And I was like, give me a meeting. Yeah. She was like, no problem. So I deliver the most expensive business plan of all time because it has to be like super great stock, paper friendly, sure. like all that because it's a magazine. Yeah. To this guy's mailbox like three times because he's like, I didn't get it. I like to do impressions of this guy because he's awesome. Mm-hmm. So finally he gets one and he meets me at the garage cafe in Birmingham okay. in the back. And when I walk in the back of the back patio, he's smoking a cigarette nice. and he's drinking a martini and he's gotta be like in his seventies. I don't know where in his seventies. And he's like, I sit down and he said, Laura, I'd like to start this meeting by saying, I do not invest in anything but myself, but I especially do not invest in magazines or restaurants. And I was Perfect. Like, Okay, well, this is going great. And I thought, hey, I'm here. I'm in a pitch. Yeah, this sure. That's what I do, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm a known, like, salesperson, relationship builder. You know, what do I have to lose? Right. Nothing. He's already said yeah, no. Yeah, he's already said no. And then I found out he loved gardening up. And he mm. ran into his mailbox to get it. And I thought, but don't you wish there was something a little more authentic, a little more gritty, a little more like, hey, I've fallen a lot. I failed a yeah. lot and here's what success looks like. And then he started talking about his dad, mm. how his dad was a door to door salesman and, um, how much he believed that story really hadn't been told a lot. Sure. And that was Elton B. Stevens jr. He wrote me my first check. Mm. He said yes that night. Wow. Um, I asked him for a certain amount of money and he said, that's never going to be enough. You're going to run out in a year. And I said, no way. I'm a great salesperson. I'm going to make this work. Yeah. We ran out in a year. He was right. He gave me $50,000 more than what I was asking for. Took the same amount of equity. I still ran out in a year. I walked into. Okay. So go back. Okay. So there's a lot of people, myself included. Mm -hmm. What did you spend the money on? So here is what I know now that I didn't know. Okay. I had built a business plan based off of what I had seen to be true about the industry on that snippet of time that I had spent the in two Savannah, months. right? I spent two months. Now, obviously two months is not enough time, but it is, I did a ton of research on what was working for other magazines. And if you look at a magazine masthead, so who works there, who's a contributor? It's hundreds of people, Tons. right? So many people. I decided we needed this skeleton crew. Yeah. And we would outsource a lot of, I mean, all of the writing, all of the photography, all of that. So we built these budgets. It's the print that kills you. I mean, print is, we'll spend thirty to forty, fifty thousand dollars on print per issue. And that'll just take you out, right? And so, so in magazines, let me ask this question because I don't know anything about magazines. Neither did I. In magazines, <laughs> yeah, obviously he was all the money. Um, in magazines, so Thomas is a subscriber. Thomas pays, let's just say, thirty dollars a year. Yeah. Forty. I don't know what the number. Is. Thirty dollars a year. Call it thirty. Okay. You don't make the. You don't. That's just like a line item. You don't make any money on you subscribers. Lose money. You lose money on subscribers and you lose money on shelves. For a long time. Okay, on shelves. 
How does that work? So who do you sell that to? So you get a broker normally. Right? Okay, so they so, got to take a freaking cut. And it is a very um, rudimentary, sure. old school business that has been doing it this way forever. So my first broker, he's a great guy, John. He's a local guy. He's amazing. And he believed in us. Yeah. And he pitched me and got us in a ton of places. Anyway, he was like, I said, first issue, I was like, listen, the goal is to get in Whole Foods. It's very important to me. That's where my people are. They care about these kind of stories. And he, he laughed and he's like, not going to get in Whole Foods. And I was like, okay. First issue goes out. So you do strategic mail outs when you're trying to get subscribers. Subscribers matter. So a lot of different things matter, but really what you're selling to an advertising partner are impressions to the right kind of people that care about their brand. Impressions to the right kind of people that, that care, care about, about their brand. The same way that if you were to tell me you needed to market your business, my first question would be, what problems are you solving? Okay. Okay. And then if you tell me what problems you're solving, I'll say, cool, who are you solving them for? Okay. We'll get to that in a second. So fast forward, I say I want to go in Whole Foods. John's like, that's hilarious. Nobody gets in Whole Foods. They yeah. pick you. I was like, no problem. We do a strategic mail out. Some guy who lived on 30A was on the board of the Whole, Fo of Whole Foods, got the first issue, ordered 1,000 copies to go in 100 Whole Foods second issue. Wow. And I tell you there was favor on this sure. thing from the beginning. And like, almost like the cockroach that just won't die because we've had plenty of opportunities to yeah. die. And my second investor. Okay, so where did you, what was the circulation? The circulation when we first came out, we were in. Our circulation hasn't really changed. We've just got better at honing in on that audience. Birmingham to what? So we are in currently twelve states, the lower okay. states. Um, we're in about fifteen hundred retailers. So you'll find us at Publix and Whole Foods and Targets and. Okay. Um, like lots of Barnes and Noble books a million that kind sure. of thing. Sure. Um, and then you'll also find us in 25 of the top hotels. You'll find us in every room, and we get a lot. Every of, room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you get a lot of impressions that way. Way more than you would sitting on your coffee table, where I may get four to ten. Okay. Okay. So. So you're still not making any money. On selling them to, because well, okay, so you said you lose money on shelves. You lose money. You're Why do you lose money on shelves? If you've got fifteen hundred locations at X number of magazines per location, well, do you, you give them away or do you like just like lower less than cost? There's there. So this is the way it works. Let's say ten magazines go on the shelf at a hundred Whole Foods. Okay, thousand magazines. Okay, at Whole Foods, they need you to sell eighty percent of those in order to keep you on their shelf. The average rack rate is twenty percent. Most magazines only sell 20% of what they put out. So what I'm saying, listen, kids, do not start a magazine. <laughs> so, okay, so the, the make, here's why that makes no sense, though. If okay. it's only 20%, why are there any magazines on there? Because, like, why would they not get rid of all the magazines or a lot of the magazines if only they're only selling 20 or 30% of the magazines? Well, when you go to Whole Foods, you see they don't have a lot of magazines because they're only selling magazines that sell, okay? When you go to Barnes & Noble, they're selling every dang magazine. Every magazine. They don't care, right? It's about, for them, it's about volume. For Whole Foods, it's about culture. It's about how does, does this match my shopper? Do they care? Yeah. And so, anyways, we went in Whole Foods. That was a big, huge win. We ran out of money less than our first year. We were running out of money. I go to pitch to Birmingham Budweiser, and I'm like, to sell ads. Ads, yeah. And he took the meeting. The owner took the meeting. I get in. I'm sitting in this big conference room. I've got one of my sales reps with me, and I'm like, here's our media deck. And he was like, oh, are you trying to sell me advertising? And I was like, you took this meeting. 
yeah. was like, yeah. And he said, are you raising capital? I'm more interested in that. And I was like, I'm telling you, I was on my knees praying. Like, I had not told anybody. We didn't have a performer ready. We were not ready to really raise capital, but we were going to have to or we were going to be shut down in one year. Right. Um, and I said, are you, are you serious? And he goes, yeah, my wife likes your magazine. Okay, let me stop. How are you paying your bills? Are well, you still, still consulting? So I always kept a client, or at least. But really, I got super scrappy. I mean, I moved into a wooden bedroom apartment that we call so lovingly the Harry Potter apartment. Mm. Clay's bed was in a closet. Nice. He went to boarding school in Coleman, which is why we live in Coleman now. A lot of the reason. My husband's from there, too. We'll get to that in a okay. second. Um, and he was boarding five days a week and would be home on the weekend so that I could travel and get things done. And he was going through puberty, and I had no tools, no tools for that. I knew he needed strong men in his life. I didn't know any of those. And so we were doing what we had to do. And when Jay said, hey, I'm, I'm interested, like, get me a performa, I was like, oh, my God, we have to get a performa. I'm doing I don't even know what to say. Like, yeah. hey, this is, a, this is the truth, though. It's a 10-year game at minimum for magazines. A 10-year, you have to have enough money or enough scrappy fortitude to figure out how to make it 10 years to even become a legacy brand. By the way, here's the other thing that happened. My excellent sales skills that I thought were gonna help us stay afloat with, with advertising, most of the advertising partners that I wanted to sell to would say to me, and I quote, come back when you've been in business for two years. Hmm. Oh, cool. Well, I can wait that long, said no entrepreneur yeah, nobody, ever, yeah. right? And so it was a really hard business, and we made it, we've now made it for eight years, and, and we've been successful and profitable for the last two, but it took six, six years. years to make any money. Well, not, we did some break-evens, but yeah, we lost money. And here's the deal. I yeah. had... I, I can't have, see here's a here's the, the difference in the two of us like I can't wrap my mind like we've been profitable since day one right which is the dream right? like That's I can't wrap my mind around six years of break even or losing money. it's kind of a nonprofit really when you think of it right but here's the deal and I I think about that my husband's like you who never started a business Shane likes to make money in his sleep Sure, like he wants to make too. more money when he's sleeping than when he's awake. That was like something he said to me that I was so appalled by when I was younger. How dare you say that? I'm doing meaningful work here. And he would be like, I don't care how meaningful it is. If you don't make money, this is called a nonprofit. You should sure. start a nonprofit. Yeah. But this is before we were married, you know, when he was just a guy that I really, really, really liked and he really liked me, but I was really lost and he was really lost. Mm. But I think that, you know, that was the thing that would keep me up at night. But it was always like, I'm almost there. And we would, and when I say we weren't making money, I was being paid. So I was getting paid by the company. The issue is my investors weren't making money. The great news is they were both B with a billionaire. Mm. So they love this tax write-off they're getting, right? So they got a tax write-off for years and years. And, you know, and now I was able to buy Eltonel in 2018, which was amazing. Yeah, so wow. things turned around. Yeah. Um, I was able to buy Elton out. I was able to onboard a new investor who really brought something to the table that allowed me to go do something I'd wanted to do for a long time. Okay, let's go back. Okay. So you buy out one of the investors. What was the windfall slash event that allowed you to do that financially? Because um, that's a huge deal. 
So I think I need to go back a little bit in the story. In 2016, well, I met my husband. Okay. I think I should tell you that part yeah, of the sure. story. So my son and I were going for a hike in Lithia Springs to meet yeah. some friends. So we're on I-20, and we get behind this guy going fast, and I'm really mad at Clay. Clay's my son. Son, yeah. I'm really mad at him because he was late, wouldn't get out of bed, and I thought we were going to miss the hike. Like, we're going to have to do our own hike because we won't be there. They'll leave you. And um, we get behind this guy going fast. And he gets off on exit 179 to get gas, and I get off behind him because I'm like, I need gas too. My son and I were in a convertible. We're like dancing, mm-hmm. having a great time. And this guy just kind of walks over to me, and he was like, you from Birmingham? <laughs> and I'm sure he was a little concerned at Clay's health, you know, like safety, because we were like really having a great yeah. time in the car. And I was like, kind of, I'm from Savannah. He's like, what do you do? I was like, oh, I do marketing. This is like at the beginning of the magazine. Okay. I was about to start it, thought I was gonna start it. And he, I was like, what about you? And he's like, oh, I do marketing too. And I was like, cool. Well, I didn't really know what he did, but he was telling me about clients he had. I had this vodka company that I repped and he's like, hey, we're looking for a vodka company for this event that I do. I was like, he's like, can I get your business card? And I was like, I don't do business cards. He gave me the worst business card I'd ever seen in my life. I knew he did not do marketing. I was like, buddy. Yeah. We go to lunch. Well, we don't go to lunch. Hold on. Keep going. What? So <laughs> the guy stops you mm-hmm. on the interstate. No, he didn't stop me on the interstate. But like yes, you get off the exit. Yeah. You get off behind him. Mm-hmm. He starts hitting on you with your son in the, in the car. Well, Clay went inside to get donuts because that's very Clay. Sure. <laughs> but but this, it, is, this, well, is, it was not, this is your future husband. This is my future husband. This and is I just, bonkers. I want to say to you that it was not creepy. And if you know... It sounds well, super creepy. It's not. If you knew Shane, you would know he's the least likely candidate. If I meet Shane, I will have to ask this question of like, bro. What were you doing? You'll, well, when you meet him, you'll be like, what? That yeah. guy walked up to you? There's no wow. way. Okay. Well, again, talk about God. So he gives me this terrible business card. He actually, I reached out to him and was like, hey, let me know if you, because like at this time, I'm still having a like side hustle. Yeah. I have this vodka company out of sure. Mississippi. He says he's got this big event. Well, that big event is called Rock the South. My husband owns Rock the South. Gotcha. Okay. He didn't say that then. Um, and I was like, he, so he called me and he's like, Hey, I'd like to get like whoever on your team and whoever on my team, we need to go to lunch. And I'm like, okay, great. So he's asking me those good old Alabama questions. Where do you go to church? Yep. And I was like, Oh, I don't go to church. I don't even believe in God. Yep. Oh, okay. And he was like, Oh, okay. Oh. Similar. Okay. And he goes, um, I said, well, what about you? And he's like, well, I do church for a living. And I was like, excuse me. And he was like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the world's largest Christian music promoter. And I was like, what? Hmm. I was like, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. He's like, well, most people don't, but you know, I put on concerts, Christian concerts. And I do them all over the world. I've been on every continent. Huh. He's like, we see, we sell millions of tickets a year. And I'm like, okay, well, this has been really cool talking to you. Yeah. I'll never talk to you again. Yeah. Bye. Well, my husband was the first person to say that Shame is like shit on your shoes, and God doesn't want you walking around with that. Nice. And it wrecks me. Yeah. Well, one, how dare you say I have shame? Yeah, exactly. And he was like, you're riddled with shame. Yeah. This is after I told him all of the reasons why he could never, ever be interested in me. Here, here they are. Here's all the most shameful, mm. horrible things that I've ever done in my life. And a guy like you who says you couldn't have a, a glass of wine and a photo with you, 
if we were ever to date, I'm like, yeah, honey, this ain't happening because yeah. I'm gonna drink wine. Yeah, I'm not gonna pretend <laughs> I don't. Okay. So, and I, and he said that to me, and I think like again, God was just chasing me down. Sure. And Shane was a big part of that. Mm. So. That happens. I start the magazine. We're not profitable. I onboard a new a new business partner, and from the moment I onboarded Jay and Jay and Elton, love that they were both in. They both had skin in the game, so they're yeah. like they both believed. I mean, if you ask Elton right now, why'd you invest in Laura? He'd say, I just believe she was a tenacious businesswoman. She's gonna yeah. get it done, and I think Jay would probably say the same. But Elton around year two was like, well, when are we going to sell it to Garden and Gun? And I was like, Elton, what are you talking yeah. about? Garden and Gun is not buying this business. And around year three, he went through a divorce um, and was like, I want you to buy me out. I'm like, it's worth less than what you put in right now. Yeah. Like, we're in the negative. I can't buy you out. Buy you out with what? And so I had convinced Jay to Who's help. Jay? Jay is my other business partner. Okay. Um, I had convinced him to help me buy him out. But then Shelly came on. So I met Shelly at a editor's luncheon. She had a jewelry line. Her name is Shelly Brown. She was the most incredible human I'd ever mm -hmm. met my whole life. She had literally little burgers on the Bloody Marys that she was serving at mm -hmm. the editor's luncheon. I'm like, are we about to be best friends? Yes. Like, is this happening? Burgers on drinks. I was like, okay, fine. Yeah. I'm in. Whatever you're selling, yeah. I'm buying it. She had 20 editors there. She didn't talk to anybody else. We just like literally buddied up in the yeah. room. And I was like, you should guest edit the magazine next year. And she's like, I don't even know what that means, but I'll do I'll it. I'll do it. She's the most talented, creative thinker I've hmm. ever met. She's a renaissance woman. She can do anything. She's a single mom of five kids. Well, she wasn't a single mom at that time. She mm. was married. Her and her husband at the time were like, hey, we want to invest in the magazine. And let me tell you, I needed that investment sure. so much. I needed Elton to go away. I needed to buy a house so I could be with my kid again. Like all of these things. But I now had the Holy Spirit and mm. I also had discernment that I'd never had before. And something in my gut said, do not take that money. I needed that money wow. so bad. And I told Shelly, who I love yeah. so much, I was like, this is not personal. I just don't think this is the right move for the business. Now this was, they were gonna put me on a salary. I was gonna have health benefits. I was gonna be able to keep my team, run it through their but system. I mean, this were, is the dream. But they were gonna own you. They were gonna own me. I did not wanna be owned. And hey, guess what? I had already taken bad money because yeah. I knew what it felt like to have Elton go, are we gonna sell this yeah. thing to God? And yeah. I'm like, stop saying that. No one's buying us. Wow. Like, it's fine. So Elton was awesome because he believed first, but he wanted something that was unrealistic for the trajectory we were on. Sure. Fast forward, Shelly goes through divorce, a little bit messy, and the first thing she says to me, now that by this time, she's going through divorce and Shane and I are engaged. And so we're getting married and she's getting divorced, mm. and I learned so much about sitting in a valley with a friend. I believe those years in the valleys of good grit actually built me. I really became that brand. Sure. Like, what does it like look like yeah. to really fail and like learn how to do that with like a smile and to know that the only way you fail is if you took a risk, right? right? And to keep grinding, to keep climbing, to keep raising up young, young creatives who love the work but right. would graduate and leave you because you couldn't pay them enough, you right? Pay them enough, yeah. 
And Shelly came along, and when she was going through divorce and Shane and I were getting married, she said, the first thing I'm going to do when I get divorced is invest in good grit. Hmm. And I was like, okay. I already told you no. No, I told her husband no. Gotcha. Yeah, I told that's her what I figured. yes. Yeah. And I was like, I'll die. I just don't even know what we'll be able to do. Yeah. Shelly joined the team in January of 2019. I wrote Elton a check, got him out, pulled her in. Hmm. She took over the creative side of the magazine. So she's part owner. But she, so that was your She ticket. was the first active owner that I'd ever had. That was your ticket to get him out of there and. Well, and let me tell you yeah, what happened. Guess great. what good, guess what God does to good partnerships. What's that? He just takes it to the <laughs> freaking moon. We are up 400% so since it, 2019. Wow. We started a creative agency. Our profits are up 72%. Okay, so 400%. So where was the shift though? Like. So this is what happened. Shelly came on board and I told her a dream that I had. The dream was, okay, we've been serving these brands for years now, telling stories. And right. what I realized is we were telling better stories about their brands than they were. Because when you're busy doing the thing you do, okay, you don't have, you don't have time to think about, am I, what's my brand doing? Am right. I telling the story? Do people know the problems we're solving? Like, how are we solving those problems? How can we make people's lives better? What gaps were we standing in? So I said, I really want to start a creative storytelling agency that lives inside of the Good Grit brand because we have, at that time, I had curated over 4 million story words. I am an mm, expert storyteller. Sure. And so she was like, great. So stop talking about it and go do it. Oh, and by the way, I hired a creative director that we can't afford, so I suggest you sell something. And I was like, and she's just like that awesome yeah and so she brought on Shivani who's now a partner too in Good Grip and Shivani was um, the creative director for the Zach Brown band for many years um, she branded like almost everything that he had and then she also did like tour branding and she had done she had worked for a hmm. big agency in Atlanta so we got her and then we hired a couple more people the creative agency outgrew the magazine in six months from a revenue perspective and in six months. In six months. Wow. Was no overhead, though. Lots of overhead. In the creative? Well, I mean, think about it. We payroll, though. Payroll. There was mm -hmm. overhead. But it didn't matter because what we learned to do is say, we now treat Good Grit Magazine as just a client of Good Grit Agency. Mm. And our specialty is bringing your brand story, either birthing a brand story birthing the name of your company. We do everything from ideation to actually rebrands, branding, telling those stories through the editorial lens, which is the most powerful way to tell a story. I mean, people want to read and lean in if you're just telling them a really good story. Right. And so we started doing that. It outgrew the magazine in six months. The pandemic happened. We were like, okay, well, the magazine's dying. The, the agency's taken off, no big deal. We called every advertiser when the, when the pandemic happened, my director of sales called every advertiser we had, and this is what I told her to tell them. Don't pay, but don't pull out. They all wanted to pull out. Every advertiser we had except for two wanted to pull out. And I said, tell them they don't have to pay, but not to pull out. Run their ads. Stay consistent. This is a long game. Sure. And none of them left. Okay, so let me go back. So okay. you're still running this magazine. You, did you miss any issues? 
Didn't miss any issues. Well, we went from six to this four. This is an interesting COVID-like concept, okay? Mm -hmm. So you didn't miss any issues, mm -hmm. but you told all these advertisers, says, don't pay me your one, two, five, ten, fifteen thousand $15,000, whatever it right. is, mm -hmm. don't pay, but you still ran the issue. Yeah. You still ran the magazine. And they all paid. Wow. You know why? Why? Because no one else did that. No one mm. else said, hey, we'll you've been so loyal We'll to stick us. by you. We'll stick by you. We know this is hard. We know you don't know what to say. Yeah. That's okay. Let us help you. By the way, we started a creative brand agency. Mm. And we were able to pick up clients that way. So that happened. We didn't miss any So issues. you did, so you probably did better during 2020 than. So I'm going to tell you all the most tragic, well, this is a great Lindsay story. So in 2020, we survived. Yeah. That was just the goal. Survived. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. In 2021, in February of 2021, I had a CFO who shall remain, remain nameless. Sure. Um, that really was good at telling me what the problems were, but not really good at solutions. telling me the solutions. Hate and that. it was bad. And that's not my gift. My gift is not to be a CFO. My gift is to build relationships yep. and solve problems. And lead. Yep. Yeah. And so um, in, 20, in February 2021, we had $14,000 debt on a credit card. And we had seven, no, we had $21,000 debt on a credit card and $7,000 in the bank. Mm. And this guy's like, you're not going to make it. And I called Lindsay, who I had met through a mutual friend, and was like, hey, this is what I'm paying this guy. Will you help me? Like, I need somebody who will come in here and tell me what I need to do. Because sure. I'll go do it. I don't care what it is. Yeah. When you say, tell me what I need to do, you were meaning from a financial part. You, yeah. you wanted Lindsay to come in. So we, we all know Lindsay. She's wonderful. Owns Empire. She does our books. She's amazing. Okay. So you said, hey, come in here and help me. Just tell me what I need to do. Yeah. Well, how can we fix this? That was, that was 21, February 21. The end of um, 21, we netted 200 grand. Netted. So the, the, the CFO had no freaking clue what it, they were None. doing. And Lizzie said, hey girl, here's what you need to do. I'm gonna get out of your way and I'm gonna take care of these things and you just go do it. Help me with my collections, help me with like streamlining all of the expenses, understanding what were we spending money on we shouldn't have been spending money on, like what was bleeding versus what was, but really, again, it was like, the partnership, like good partnership just yields incredible fruit. She's made so much of a difference in us because it's it's like, I had a guy named Mike McCraw. Mark, Mike works for Founders. I don't know if you know him. He's wonderful. Um, but I was meeting with him just about business stuff. And he's like, hey, you got to have a better grasp on your numbers. I knew we were making money. Right. But he's like, you got you to gotta know percentages. You got to know these things. And so I, and he, I knew Lindsay from Lindsay's back in the, the day. Best. But then he introduced, he's like, hey, you need to like, Go down this path with Lindsay, and I did. It's it's just been it's been wonderful. I got a meeting with her in an hour, forty minutes. Okay, Lindsay is the best. She is. Tell me, I feel like we're bad. No, on you're time. good. You're fine. Um, so the that is what happened with Lindsay. We are up now. You know, so th this was the shift that needed. That was to in twenty one. Twenty one. What we did was we stopped looking at the magazine as a separate business, and we started treating the magazine like a client of the agency. That's it. So the, the so the nuts and the bolts question I have is that the agency is the is what's making quote the money. Well, it used to be, and now. Um, the and now the magazine <laughs> is up thirty six percent from last year, wow. and it made just as much money as the agency did. That's so good. 
So because you got a great agency <laughs> working great with that. Agency. <laughs> working if with y'all need an agency, <laughs> exactly. Know somebody. Um, and I think like when you say agency, you mean like an ad agency, marketing agency, what, like okay, branding, branding, um, all that stuff. Branding, okay. storytelling. I mean, I think dissemination. And it's called it's called Good Grit. Good Grit. Okay. Yeah. And GoodGritAgency.com is where you can find that. We have some really incredible clients. Mm-hmm. We've done some. We've got some great case studies on there of things we've done. And we're really proud of that work. Um, and it's very meaningful I mean, yeah. to help somebody who's doing this great work like what you're doing mm-hmm. to better tell that story so that you can reach more people that you can serve. Yeah. Um, and so that's been really fun. And I think the you asked me something off camera. Okay. Again. I don't know what I did. What you, did I you ask? asked me um, would I do it again? Okay. So six years, no money. Mm-hmm. Would you start? and do good grit again. So caveat, do I get to start good grit knowing what I know or I don't get to know? I got to just grind. Knowing what you know. No, I think that's fair. Knowing what you know, because at some point, here's what's going to happen. You're 39. So you've got a lot of people that you're going to mentor and lead and Mm -hmm. talk to the rest of the the rest of your life. Uh, Someone's going to come up to you. A 22 year old Laura is going to come up to you and say, I want to start a magazine in fill in the blank. Yeah. What are you going to tell them? Well, I tell them don't do it. I mean, I, I tell them don't do it unless you have a blank checkbook. Okay. And, and, or unless you're so niche down and you already have big relationships that you know you can leverage, because if that's the case, I can help you build a playbook that you can run and you can make money. Hmm. The thing that happened to Good Grit that I didn't know was we just cast too wide of a net. And over the years, we've learned to hone in and be very niche on like, we're, you know, mainly what we do is we do evocative storytelling, which is awesome. But we live in the travel world. Like most of what we're doing is we're giving you a permission slip to go visit a small city you didn't know was amazing in the South. And when you say, hold on, when you say cast two out of a net, I don't understand. Do you mean cast two out of a net geographically or cast two out of a net of like we were both. doing too much in our magazine? Both. Okay. So we're still a lifestyle publication. So you can still get a great recipe and good grit and you can still see all these like cool places you need to go. But when I say two out of a net from a content perspective, I, what I've learned is the people who want to invest in good grit to tell their stories are primarily tourism oriented people, right? So our, the bulk of our business is going to be around cities across the, the South, right? And then everything else should feed into that. And that's what we did. Geographically, we spread ourselves too thin on how we wanted to distribute. Sure. We wanted to be ever. We uh, there was a time we were in 48 states. We had more subscribers in New York and LA than we did in Georgia, at one time. That's crazy, and you're a Southern lifestyle. Exactly, magazine. but people. But, the South is cool. I'll say this. Yeah. Okay, a friend of mine started a sticker company. Okay. He owns a coffee shop. He started a sticker company, mm-hmm. and is making crap tons of money <laughs> selling stickers that have Southern sayings on it. And he told me this. So look, I saw him. So we used to live in Cookville. He lived in, he still lives there. Mm -hmm. Um, But I saw him at Market in Atlanta. Okay. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm like, are you, is this really making money? He goes, bro. So much. So much. And I'm like, how? He goes, the South is a brand in and of itself. It is. And when he said when he said that, my 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 light bulb went off and goes, he is freaking right. Well, not only that, this is what we you know, 
there were two things that were happening when I moved to Birmingham. There was a revival happening in a lot of southern cities all across the United mm -hmm. States. Like all of the old things were cool again. Sure. People didn't want to live in like drywalled places. They were like, give me exposed brick and a $600 electric bill. I love it. You know what I mean? Like, and so I think that there was that. I mean, right now, if you're even think about the nostalgia, that record sales are higher now than they were in the 60s. Nuts. It's crazy. Yep. Polaroids. All of these old things made new again. Yeah. Made cool again. I mean, the fact that the 90s are back in style is just devastating to me. Bonkers. I hate it. Me I'm too. like, there's nothing good no. about it. It shouldn't have come back. It's horrible. No. But there's cycles in those things. Yeah, sure. And I think that from a Southern culture perspective, people are enamored with wanting to understand it. And people who are from here are really excited about people being excited about the South who sure. don't live here. And so we act as a vehicle, and Garden and & Gun and Southern Living both do this too, Right. but we didn't have $100 million like Garden & Gun did. Mm. That's how much of a capital investment. My capital investment is under $2 million. It's crazy. It's insane, but we yeah. made it eight years. And now we're in a really profitable place and it did take a long time, but I wouldn't be able to mentor people. I wouldn't have the relationship sure. with God that I have. I certainly wouldn't have a healthy marriage and a healthy healthy relationship with my children. Right. Um, and I don't think I'd be the type of leader that I am. Wow. Okay, so here's where we are. Okay. Um, this has been absolutely fascinating <laughs> to me, uh, but I've got a list of questions. Okay that I want to ask. Okay, go for it. But the problem is... We don't have any time. We don't have any time. I know. So you've got to go, I've got to go. But I think the best thing for us to do mm -hmm. is to do another one of these. Are you serious? And yes, but I also, <laughs> okay. but here's here's why I say that. I want to say that because I want to, I want to be more technical. I want to ask technical questions. Okay. So that people can understand, like, there's so many things that you said that people don't understand. Yeah, well, especially people are like, well, how did you live if you were losing exactly. money? Exactly. And when you don't... So explaining a, explaining yeah. those things is, is critical. But like I've got... We haven't even talked about your husband and what he does yeah. and how y'all... And how y'all do life together and things like and that. And the balance and the boundaries yes. and the, all those things. Yeah. So here's what we're going to do. I prompt because this is, is... I'm truly fascinated. If I'm fascinated, I know people will be too. Um, let's give this thing however long and let's have you back on so that we can get more details okay. of what of what you do because it's fascinating. I didn't know any of that information. Yeah. Okay, so okay. we will do this again for sure. Okay. Awesome, thank you.